Shalom everyone. It's time for Ancient Jewish Wisdom for a Modern World that will change your thinking and change your life. Welcome to the Dust of the Rabbi Podcast with Rabbi Brian Baruch Belechi. Welcome to the Dust of the Rabbi Podcast. I am your host, Brian Garza, with the Rabbi Brian. Is it Belechi or is it Belechi? It's Belechi. I knew it. Yeah. Okay. So Sicilian Jewish name. Yes. (laughs) So before we dive into what the podcast is, can you give the bio of who you are, how you even became a rabbi, and what you do right now? All right. You want the whole Megillah. You want the whole story. (laughs) I got you. All right. Well, you know, it's funny that people always ask me questions like, how can I be a pastor and a rabbi? And so many people know me as Pastor Brian, others know me as Rabbi Brian, and I actually have both titles, but let's go back before I ever had a title. I was just that young kid that just wanted to know my roots. And I find myself looking and searching through our family tree and discovering all the European names, especially with my name being Sicilian, Bilecci, which, you know, I have a Sicilian-Italian background, and then also finding out there was French, Austrian, and Polish, and German. I never knew or discovered that it was actually Jewish. And so I found out through many years of just studying on my own that I had a very diverse family. So we'll start with that. And at a certain age, I wanted to know the Bible from its original being. Well, so you think about the Bible, which is a very diverse book. It's 66 books. It's 40 authors over about 1,500 years of writing. And I knew the majority of it was Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic in the end of the Old Testament, and then a little bit of Aramaic, but mostly Greek in the New Testament. And I knew that Jews had to be scattered to the four corners of the earth. And I felt like I was one of those Jews on a discovery to discover my roots. And I feel like that's still my passion today to help people discover Maybe not roots of their ethnicity, but the roots of their faith. Wow. So for me, I I grew up a normal kid like anybody else. I grew up in Southern California. My parents are very diverse ethnically. And I remember my mother always telling me that, you know, even though she had a mixed race, that we had some Jewish blood. And I used to think my mother was crazy, but oh, yeah, yeah. Sure we are, sure we are. But then my, my dad would just, you know, rave about how he grew up Catholic and, you know, how he was um, going to Catholic school, except for he didn't care for, you know, the treatment the nuns gave him when he asked too many Bible questions. He had the uh, the little ruler hit his knuckles a few t- times, and uh, he, he kind of got discouraged with religion and decided that he was going to go into studying the lost teachings of the world. So he kind of dabbled with ordering books from a new age gospel society. And so I grew up in a home where um, my mother actually was raised Baptist. And so she would take us to the Baptist church. And then they put me in a Pentecostal Assemblies of God school. And uh, so for most of my younger education, I was going to a Christian school that well, you know, sponsored by a Assembly of God school. So it was Pentecostal. And I ended up going from the Baptist church growing up and then actually attending the youth camp at the uh, Pentecostal church. And that's when my life changed. So here I was very young, about 10, 11, 12. I was digging into the Bible, learning the languages of the Bible, really falling in love with Hebrew and really falling in love with all things Jewish because I just had this affinity for 
and 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 love for the Jewish people and the heritage and the legacy and you know my heroes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was I was all about that. And then it took many years for me to actually discover that I myself was Jewish. So our background is from Europe, goes back to what they call the, in the Spanish world, conversos. Those are people that were forced to convert to Catholicism. It not only was a problem in Spain, but it was a problem in Italy. What was the time period of that, if you don't mind me asking? So you're talking about the Spanish Inquisition in 1492, and it hit Italy in 1493. So when Christopher Columbus was bringing Jews on his ships of the the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, they were all Jews that were fleeing persecution that would have been forced to convert to Catholicism had they not left the country. Some of the Spanish Jews came over to Sicily and Italy, and there was already a Jewish community there. So these European Jews came to the Americas, North and South, especially Spanish Jews. They don't realize, you know, what a heritage there is there. And, and when they went to uh, South America, Latin America, even to North America, they were some of the first ones to establish synagogues in America. Really? The Spanish and Portuguese Jews, they basically founded the first synagogue, what was called New Amsterdam, which is now New York. And I actually got a chance to visit that synagogue. So for me, it was a, it was a big journey of discovering not only who I was ethnically, but discovering these hidden Jewish roots in our family with stories untold that when I would ask questions, I would kind of get this weird response from some of my grandparents. And I remember specifically asking my father's mother, my grandmother from Louisiana. She was from New Orleans. <laughs> and that's where my dad was born and raised. I said, you know, tell us about the family, how we got here to America. She looked at me for a second. She goes, okay, you really want to know? She goes, I'll tell you what they told me. She was the baby of the family. They said, it was a long time ago. It was too painful. We're in this country now. We're not going to talk about it. And it's the same story I get from a lot of families that are Holocaust surviving families. You know, so they're, they're, they're descendants of, of Holocaust survivors. We're, we're in this country now. It was too painful. We're not going to talk about it. So I r realized that there was this hush-hush thing going on where our Jewish family from Europe hid either as Catholics, depending on whether Catholic ruled area like Louisiana, Louisiana Purchase, you know, King Ferdinand, Queen Isabella, they caused the Spanish Inquisition in Spain. But you think Louisiana, that's the king and queen that, you know, was ruling. Louisiana is named after <laughs> that, that uh, monarch and his queen. So there's a lot of history there where even though a lot of Jews came through Ellis Island, there were also Jews like my family that came through New Orleans as a port to America to flee persecution. And of course, when they got here, they kind of had to keep hiding as Catholics. And uh, it was a very interesting story that I began to unfold and, and began to learn about myself. And then it, it was interesting because I was already studying Hebrew. And for some strange reason, it was easy for me to learn. I connected with it. And I then had a Hebrew teacher in the synagogue that I was uh, visiting even when we first started um, Destiny Church with Pastor Obed Martinez in, in here in the, in the desert area where, where obviously we live, um, there was a, a synagogue in Desert Hot Springs called Temple Baruch Hashem. It used to be a conservative synagogue called Nove Shalom. And the rabbi that trained me actually had a similar story where his parents hid his identity that he was Jewish. So he was trying, just trying to survive. He's just trying to survive. And, and I showed him all the pictures of the family. And he said, wait a minute, who's this? I said, that's my grandfather. He goes, well, I thought you said you were Italian. 
And I said, I am Italian. Last name's Belecci. He goes, well, what was the, the maiden name of his mom? So I said, well, my grandfather's mother's name was Mary Schmaltz. And um, that was the form of Miriam, actually, as, as Maria. And so he laughed at me. He says, did you say Schmaltz? <laughs> I said, yeah, schmaltz. They said it's German. He goes, that's Yiddish for chicken fat. You know, and so from that moment on, I went back to the family records, back to the family tree I, I put together, looked at all the pictures. I even showed him a picture of my grandfather. He goes, that's a Jewish nose. I said, don't tell me that. And that's where it all began to unravel because all of a sudden I realized the German side of his family was German Jewish, what we call Ashkenazi Jewish. So I have Jewish blood from the German side, from the Austrian and Polish side, uh, um, and then we have French Jew, you know, all coming through New Orleans, and there's all this, you know, not a melting pot, more of a gumbo of ethnicities coming through that they were all European Jews fleeing the country, fleeing persecution, fleeing Europe, trying to come to a free country, America, right, the land of the, the, land of the brave, you know? <laughs> so it, I could tell you a lot about my history, but Somehow I ended up doing what I do now. And, and the, the nickname that I got at the Assembly of God Church that I was attending when I was younger was rabbi. And I would ask them, why would you call me rabbi? Don't call me that. That's a very respectful term in the Jewish right. community. And they say, well, because you, you always talk about everything Jewish. And every time we say anything about scripture, you're mentioning about the Hebrew and the Aramaic and Jewish festivals and holidays and Passover and, you know, Feast of Tabernacles and you're always talking about Jewish stuff. And I said, well, to me, that's the major context of the Bible. It's from the East. And yeah. <laughs> so that's been my journey. Such providence. Just seems like God was preserving your line yes. to get you here. Yes, yes. So I actually sat underneath a rabbi who made me his assistant rabbi after so many years. He ordained me under the UMJC organization, which is a Messianic Jewish organization. And now I'm actually under the MJA, Messianic Jewish Alliance of America. But during those years, I had a Hebrew teacher from Haifa, Israel, that took those early years of my study and basically qualified my understanding by saying, okay, let me help you with the vowels. You're a little, you know, not as aware on how the vowels work. But I knew my consonant letters, all 22 letters of the alphabet, I could rattle off on the first day of class. And she was shocked, where'd you learn this from? And I could read Hebrew without vowels. She goes, how do you read without vowels? I said, well, I never learned the vowels, but I know the consonants. She goes, how did you learn it? Who taught you? I said, well, I kind of taught myself. It was like me and God, you know, having conversations. <laughs> Holy Spirit helping me download it all. And I said, I was just very young. She goes, what age were you? I said, about, you know, 11, 12. Uh, she goes, oh, like a, you were having your own spiritual bar mitzvah then. Yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, basically I was. <laughs> and then later, I actually went through a uh, bar mitzvah at the synagogue when I had my first chance to read from the Torah my portion and to be able to sing it in Hebrew, what we call cantering, you know, or saying the cantillation mm -hmm. of the Hebrew text. And so I got a lot of experience in that synagogue, Temple Berkishem, Desert Hot Springs. And it's not in existence anymore. The rabbi moved to Israel and the uh, synagogue shut down because it was financially going through some changes. And he's now in Israel now, as well as my Hebrew teachers in Israel in Haifa, and uh, I'm left with the legacy of carrying on what they began, what they started. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's an amazing synagogue. My wife and I, you know, for the past like I would say year and a half, have really just delved into that side of the Jewish side of Christianity. Yeah, yeah, and it's almost like we're almost exclusively going to synagogue. Yeah, yeah. You know, my, my wife loves going. 
she feels like she's every Saturday she's constantly hearing hearing the teachings, breaking down the words. Always knew that was for that. Right. I never knew that. I never, I never knew that the way I was thinking was actually incorrect. Yes, you yeah, know? yeah. So I think one of the things that that and your experience is in my presence in Adag, which is uh, Simchat Yeshua Messianic Congregation um, in San Jacinto. We actually started in Hemet and then moved to San Jacinto. That synagogue, all of the furniture inside came from Desert Hot Springs. I inherited all the furniture of the synagogue from my rabbi. The only thing I didn't take with me was the stained glass windows they had that had images of all of the Jewish holidays, feast days that were along the synagogue walls. And they actually went to the Jewish community uh, to reutilize them for other synagogues. But all the furniture inside came with me uh, where I was taking over a synagogue in, in Emmett at the time that now has become a congregation in San Jacinto. I don't know. It feels like how culture is shifting into they want a deeper sense of the truth. Yeah. I think even with inside Christianity, they're almost at the edge and at the end of their Western Christianity. Yeah. I get, it has to be something more. I get phone calls all the time. I got one just uh, last night, actually. I was driving to the synagogue to celebrate the original Pentecost, which is the <laughs> festival of Shavuot. Mm-hmm. The Feast of Weeks of Deuteronomy 1616, uh, one of the pilgrim feasts where you travel to Jerusalem along with Passover in the mm-hmm. spring, then it would be the Feast of Shavuot, and then finally the Feast of Tabernacles we call Sukkot. When I was driving there, I got a lady calling me. She goes, I attend this church. There's another member that goes to your congregation that also attends my church. She's been telling me all about the Jewish roots that she's learning, the Hebrew uh, language that she's been able to understand. She goes, I want to learn that. She goes, I love my pastor. I love the teaching I'm getting. They're giving us all the basics, but I want to go deeper. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that we have pastors that are planting churches all around the world, especially here in America. There's a lot of church planting going on. But I feel like those those young pastors, they need someone mentoring them. They need to be discipled by someone that has this ancient Jewish wisdom to share with them so that they can better understand not just the Older Testament, but the actual New Testament. So from that point, shifting on into the main point of this podcast, why Dust of the Rabbi? Okay, so this is where it gets a little fun. I have in my hands a, a book um, by Arts Girl Masora Publications, and it's called Pirkei Avot, which is the Ethics of the Fathers, and it speaks of these ancient principles that were passed down from our forefathers. And I'm going to read out of uh, the Mishnah here, Pirkei Avot. says, let your house be a meeting place for the sages or the Torah scholars. So think about this concept. You know, we have all these life groups and small groups that churches have because they saw the early disciples would go from house to house after they went to the temple for, like, for instance, Pentecost and these other festivals. Well, they said you should basically use your house for these sages or Torah scholars, these wise teachers. He goes on to say, you should become dusty yourself with the very dust of their feet and drink in their words with thirst. So you imagine the the disciples following Jesus. He was a rabbi, right? He was a Jewish rabbi. He was a traveling teacher. He wasn't American? Yeah. (laughs) And the funny thing is he wasn't American and he did come from a Western mindset. Right. He comes from an Eastern mindset, right? Because Israel is is in the Middle East and is, is a different culture. It's different from Western Civ, right? So when he said these words, you can imagine Jesus 
say, traveling from the Galilee, where he grew up, where he ministered in the synagogues, and traveling for, say, Passover or Pentecost or Tabernacles, one of the Jewish holidays, to Jerusalem to get to the Temple Mount. His disciples would be traveling with him. And whatever disciple was closest to him as the rabbi, as the teacher, that was the disciple that was getting dusty from the dust of his feet. And they were close. They were inner circle disciples. I call that your Peter, James, and John. While somebody like Judas, he's probably in the back somewhere, you know, plotting how he's going to break off from the group, betray Jesus, you know, so... Or we call him in Hebrew Yeshua, right? Which means salvation. So when you're thinking of this idea of the dust of the rabbi, it's the idea is that you want to get as close to your rabbi, your teacher, as possible, not only to drink in his words with thirst, but the goal is to be like the rabbi. And we always talk about being like Jesus. But when you think of him as a Jewish rabbi, he had disciples that only rabbis in those days had. Right? Discipleship is really a Jewish thing. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, it sounds like you're talking disciples. Yeah, discipleship. That's exactly what we're talking about. So to be a disciple in Hebrew, Talmud or Talmudim, means to be a student who's a learner. And so what you have is these disciples wanting to learn so much, not only what he said from his mouth, because they are drinking his words with thirst, because they were thirsting for this. They were hungry for some revelation. But they wanted to be like him. So how are you going to learn to be like him? You have to be as close to him as possible. You need to pray the way he prays. You need to go to synagogue the way he goes to synagogue. You need to read from the scroll the way he reads from the scroll. All the things that Jesus did in front of his disciples was meant to be duplicatable. Because discipleship is not just about learning facts. It's about doing life with other disciples, following the rabbi or the teacher, as you learn to be like him in every area of his life. So his life becomes your life. We can call it the great exchange. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's very true. That That's so interesting how that is such a good picture of discipleship. Yeah. Yeah, I've been in church my whole life. And we need more disciples. We need a disciple. We need, hey, the, the word this year is discipleship. Yeah. But it, and it's, it's almost like, a fact. It, yeah. We're but it's trying like, it out. There's conferences on discipleship. Yeah. There's no discipleship happening. Yeah. And there's books on it, too. Right. And here's the last thing I'll say about that is that we are not commanded in Scripture to go and make other Christians or other Catholics or Lutherans or Episcopalians or Baptists or Pentecostals. We're called in the Great Commission to go into the whole world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. So that's really my life's goal and legacy is I want to continue what my rabbi did for me, not only my rabbi Yeshua, (laughs) Jesus, But my rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Alon Barak, who is still alive and in Israel and uh, doing the work of ministry there. But I want to continue that legacy and make disciples the way he made me his. Wow. I think I'm thinking of when Paul, who also was a rabbi, how he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yes, yes. Follow me as I follow the Messiah. Yes. I think, especially nowadays, there's almost this, especially in Western Christianity, there's there's this distrust and almost a, uh, a hesitance mm-hmm. to get under a pastor yeah, or to get under a leader. Yeah. Because there's church, church. Right. They weren't shown the actual face of discipleship. Or they they were discouraged because some of them said they were going to mentor them or disciple them or take them under their wing yeah. or make promises to them that, you know, oh yeah, one day if you just keep following me and, right. you know, maybe washing my car and, carrying my Bible and being my armor bearer, you're going to be able to be a, a leader one day. Yeah, I've heard countless of, of stories. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the victims. <laughs> but, uh, or, or at least 
that's a whole other podcast, that's whole, right? Yeah, whole podcast. <laughs> but obviously, because they're all human, none of them are God, obviously. But yeah, there is this mistrust, but it's because there is not a real understanding of Scripture from a Jewish perspective, right? Yeah. And we have to realize, if those 40 authors are all Jewish, and I know some would say Luke is actually a Gentile, but one day we'll have a discussion on yeah. one, of the, one of the episodes. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about, was Luke a Gentile or was he a Jew? I, um, I believe he was a Greek-speaking Jew from the diaspora, but that's, we'll save that for another time. Yeah. All these authors, we definitely know, are writing from a Jewish perspective, with a Jewish mindset. And there's a scripture that tells us that we should have the mind of Christ, which we can interpret as the mind of the Messiah. The goal of being discipled by Jesus, by Yeshua, is to have his mind, his thoughts, his ways, his actions, his character, his integrity, right? So that the world will see him through us. Because we now learn to be like him, and we're going to shine that light. That's the reason why Paul could say, you can imitate me as I imitate him that I'm being an example for you to follow in my footsteps. And I always tell my my members of the congregation or even members at, at church, I always say that you want to follow in the footsteps of the Messiah. And one of the reasons is every footstep he makes, every step he takes, is anointed. He's anointed to lead you and guide you. And through the Holy Spirit, that we call the Ruach HaKodesh, you know, that spirit that is set apart, who sets us apart, we become a disciple. We think differently. We speak differently. We act differently. And people will know, like they did with the disciples, that we've been with Jesus, been with our rabbi, been with Yeshua when we act like him. I think that's the problem with Christianity today. We, ha- we preach a lot. We do a lot of talking. But if you don't walk the talk, <laughs> and if you don't allow others to see you live out what you preach, then what's going to happen? You're going to have people that follow you because they're they're basically saying without saying it do as i say but not as i do and jesus warned his disciples he goes whatever the 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 pharisees are teaching do it but don't do as they do because they teach and don't do wow so whatever they say to do whatever they teach you it's coming from the scripture do it but don't follow their example of how to do it because they teach you to do things that they won't do themselves So Jesus wanted them to know, you have one teacher, that's me, and I'm going to show you how to do it. So follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to show you the right way to walk close with God. Wow. From that, we're going to bring it to a close. And just a teaser, next episode, we're going to dive in deeper to see Jesus as a rabbi. Wow, that's going to be a fun one because (laughs) that is my goal every day is to be more like Jesus as he was a rabbi for his disciples. So that's going to be a fun one, isn't it? some fun stuff to unpack. So I hope but those that are listening and staying close to this podcast as they're absorbing the information to really look forward to what's coming next. Because what you're going to find out is you're going to get so hungry to learn these principles that no one's ever told you. Or they've told you in pieces, but the pieces of the puzzle have not been put together to get the full picture. So I'm excited about that. All right. Sounds good. All right. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, follow us for more episodes as you rate and review the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dust of the Rabbi podcast with Rabbi Brian Ruth Balecci. Shalom. Lehitrot. See you next time.